This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh, yes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Still catch my breath. It's one of those nights of football, Hayden, where your adrenaline's pumping, even though you did absolutely nothing other than sit in your couch and react to what was happening on a 65-inch television right in front of your face. I kept jumping up and down, and my wife was like, what is going on? Like, why do you care so much? <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I'm was. i right there with you. That game, the last game was just incredible. Even, I mean, the Tom Brady comeback was insane football and then i like i basically had forgot about like what happened in the Bengals titans game yeah earlier and then i was like oh crap that was an insane game as well it wasn't as good of a game but all of the games came down to the wire what yeah we got we got a little revenge after a pretty slow week of football the week prior oh yeah as greg rosenthal put it it's science if the first round wild card round is bad divisional round is excellent and yes that's exactly what we all received today an ambitious show four game recaps highlighting the moments the plays the players who made the biggest difference oh and we have to start off at arrowhead stadium looking to the end zone for the win he caught it ball game chiefs to the championship game these two guys know each other this is just unfathomable. The Bills had won this game. It was over. Josh Allen with a perfect postseason. And Patrick Mahomes. Yes, Patrick Mahomes, Tony Romo, and Jim Nance. That was the victory for the Kansas City Chiefs over the Buffalo Bills. Back and forth, back and forth. Hayden, the madness really starts with 8.55 to go. The Buffalo Bills down 26-21 to 21 after Kansas City settles for a field goal. Following that attempted option play with the bell dozer, Blake Bell, to Jarek McKinnon, this begins a 17-play, seven-minute and one-second drive by the Bills. That includes three third-down conver- conversions, two fourth-down conversions, and a fourth and four, where Josh Allen simply evades two clear Kansas City Chief defenders despite instant disruption, and it ends. With a fourteen, with a fourth and thirteen post to Gabriel Davis, who sent Mike Hughes into another dimension after a six-yard loss on the previous play, jaw-dropping stuff. This entire Bills offense before even get to the Chiefs' response. It was absolutely ridiculous football by Josh Allen on this drive. There was all the quarterback design stuff and the scrambling, but there was some throws too. Not even the, the touchdown throws. The one I'm showing you right here, where he steps into the into the pocket seems like he's scrambling at the very last second hits Gabe Davis on this crossing route, which was coming out really late. He was just doing things like reaction things that basically only a couple people on the planet could do. Oh yeah. And this game, basically like I think the biggest takeaway, big picture 
is I think this game is probably going to eat like make me reevaluate quarterbacking just in general, like the definition of franchise quarterback, like is Derek Carr franchise quarterback? I guess if you're trying to come to the playoffs, but like, what is, what is this football? Like what, what, what label are we putting on top of this? Cause there's basically maybe about five or six quarterbacks right now that are even in the same tier as what we got from Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, just using a basic number, total EPA per play. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes had 99th percentile games here. And Josh Allen ended up getting uh, sent home for no no reason of his own fault, but just like that's what the level of Patrick Mahomes is playing out right now, too. Yeah, Allen finishes 27 of 37, 329, four total touchdowns, another 68 yards on the ground. I always love to think about that era that NFL quarterbacks went through when every team was searching for the statues. They were searching for the next Peyton Mannings. They were searching for the next Tom Brady's. And I think it forced failed evaluations over and over and over again at the position. And now that we're seeing with a lot of these young passers, it's the mobility. The mobility and athleticism makes absolutely all of the difference. And I think what you're saying is there's not going to be many of them that enter this tier, but there's more now than it feels like there ever has been before. And I think because the perception of the position has completely evolved. And as we pointed out, Patrick Mahomes was also someone who was going to get there with his rushing total. Seven carries for 69 yards consistently was able to get off his platform, get outside of, of the structure of the offense. And again, pocket mobility, athleticism, it makes all the difference for both of these players. It definitely does. And the other thing it does, it allows you to have just kind of average depth pieces because when you're scrambling around all of a sudden, it's just a scramble drill and eventually someone's going to get open And in the playoffs. Like these quarterbacks just run for, for their lives. And we saw there's a, a Patrick Mahomes quote out there talking to reporters saying like, yeah, when, when I get to the playoffs, it's time to run and his numbers just absolutely spike. And it was just, yeah, both sides of them. They can pass the ball down the field, but really like the, on the Patrick Mahomes side of things, I mean, the Bills played a very good defensive game plan game. They basically sat in two deep coverages the entire game. Patrick Mahomes, uh, ADOT was seventh percentile. It was like down to like five yards per pass attempt. And it was just all just check down, check down, check down, scramble out of the pocket, hit somebody down in the flats, uh, use his legs a little bit himself. But it just, there's, there's basically is no defense against this uh, offense when you have Tyreek Hill running down the sideline third and tens with Travis Kelsey, basically like the cover two stuff. Like we don't have to listen to that ever again. Like we now know that the chiefs could beat that in absolutely eviscerated, not even just like kind of get there, like absolutely just stomp them out. And that was a very good bills defense. And it was just like knife through butter. Really? Yeah. I feel like the entire first half of this season when they were realistic questions, I mean, honest questions asked about both sides of the ball here for the Chiefs, but it set them up for this crazy victory. I mean, the first three scoring drives were 11 plays, 12 plays, and 13 plays. And then we got the fireworks, which we knew that they have always had in their back pockets. And then when they need it most, nearly every other team around the league can you know, dream of gaining that amount of chunk yards in that short of a period of time. And then it is some of the role players that they've added or, or incorporated more along the way. I mean, the Miko Hardman jet sweep, the Melvin Ingram, if Melvin Ingram plays like that, and we are going to preview this weekend coming up later over on Thursday, 
Melvin Ingram was unstoppable off that right side. And then Jarek McKinnon. I mean, the combo of Jarek McKinnon and CEH, dare I say that like defense is not showing their hand because obviously teams play to win early on and it did slow down this offense. But at some point, it's almost like the more punishment this Chiefs offense took, the more doubters that they had, they're only stronger now because of it, because they know how to dominate and beat all different types of coverages every single weekend and week out right now. Yeah, that that's it sums it up perfectly. There is not a coverage. There's not a blueprint to stopping the Chiefs. You just have to hope that some of those balls that were ricocheting off wide receivers' hands and going in for interceptions, that those start flipping your way. Yeah, and going back to the Tyreek Hill long touchdown, that was cover two man where he just beat his defender one-on-one. One of the underrated plays to set up the game-winning drive was also a man coverage, but a different, a little bit different look. Um, and they actually have Travis Kelsey set up a big pick play to McCall Hardman um, to set up the, the game-winning drive on the next play where you see Kelsey right in the middle absolutely yep. chip this guy up, and that leads to the game-winning drive. So basically, like throw out whatever. You're going to play zone. You're going to play man. It doesn't really freaking matter. Uh, if, as long as Ty- Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Mahomes are out there, it really doesn't matter what the depth is. Because I mean, there was how I mean, really honestly, like how often do you see Patrick Mahomes under pressure this game? It wasn't really that often because the offensive line is so damn good. I don't really care how good Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, McCole Hardman really are. Just like if you have I mean, Demarcus time, Robinson, eleven was invisible. I know. As long as you have enough time, Patrick Mahomes is going to find you eventually, and it's impossible to cover these guys for that long. I did thought, think Ed Oliver had a really good game, and Ed Oliver, exactly what we had hoped to see from him out of Houston with that bend from the interior, that athleticism from the interior. He's been great all season long. I know we've jumped around a lot. Do you mind if we do like start conversations back and maybe like each drive that happened do it. in the final two minutes? Because again, I think it's important to note how many ridiculous plays were made during that time. And it all started with this Gabriel Davis fourth and 13 post again, where he sent Mike Hughes to basically the sideline, just an incredible, incredible route here from Gabriel Davis, who did not have this in his bag this time last year, did not have this in his bag, this training camp, just an improving player that we've seen all season long and makes sense and has forced the bills to keep him on the field, despite Emmanuel Sanders coming back at some point this season. Yeah, that was a cover three look where he, the corner was just kind of sitting on his on his uh, heels, and then Gabe Davis was a little out and up, and it was absolutely wide open for the touchdown. Yeah, Gabe Davis had a, a great—I mean, uh, obviously a great game here. Well, and it was just plays. like, yeah, he was just bodying. Like there was a couple of like plays that aren't going to be up on the highlight reel where he was just like a stop route and just like pushing defenders off, and his size just was kind of the difference maker on some of the non-highlight reel ones. But yeah, he was just a, a walking playmaker. So that touchdown gives the Bills a 29 to 26 lead. And you think, okay, with 154 left on defense for the Bills, at worst, let's get a stop for a field goal, right? And make it 29 to 29. And boom, we walk into to overtime. Well, Tyreek Hill has other ideas. And this is the play that you're talking about. I'll reel it back for the people watching with us on YouTube. It's a trail technique by the corner. And you can tell that by the inside leverage that he keeps. And then, boom, he's in his hip pocket. It's actually really pretty good trail technique. But, man, the ability that Tyreek Hill has in this scenario to catch it and immediately go up the field, break the safety's angle on him, and then outrun everyone to the point And think if you had these skills and this confidence in your speed at the seven or eight yard line, while the game is slowing down for you 
and everyone else is sprinting as fast as they can. He throws up the deuces to Matt Milano, who's chasing him to hopefully keep him out of the end zone. And boom, he's there to turn that game into 33 to 29 with 102 left. Yeah, special player. I mean, the speed is just ridiculous. And it really was perfect coverage. They were not going to be able to throw the ball downfield. And the inside leverage, like Tyreek Hill had to work his ass off just to get back on inside and then create some separation. And Mahomes put it like in the perfect spot. Okay, so 33 to 29, 102 left. Josh Allen again manufactures another 75-yard touchdown drive. Back-to-back throws to Gabriel Davis. 28 yards to Gabe and then 12 yards to Gabe. And then you get two plays off. And then Gabriel Davis, the second-year wide receiver, splits the safeties and gets it in for a 16-yard touchdown. A cover-two look. Again, that little same move, this time from an inside alignment to force the corner to take a false step to the outside and then wide open the C's part. And again, it's a rope touchdown from Josh Allen to Gabe Davis for 60. I think this Gabe Davis route was more impressive than the other one. He actually had to win on man coverage here. The the key part to this was the Chiefs were kind of late and they kind of have a little miscommunication even before the ball was snapped where the, the defender uh, guarding Gabe Davis here was on the other slot receiver. And then finally last second jumped down in. Then all of a sudden he had a wide open lane too. But yeah, this performance, like right now, uh, I was looking people in the chat are asking about 2022 best ball with Gabe Davis. He's currently ADP 116. I'm going to set the over under at about 75, <laughs> uh, maybe 65 uh, by the time August rolls around here. So yeah, Gabe Davis shares and stock are through the roof right now. We, we might see 75 or, or 65 graphics out there on social media saying, are Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis the best one-two combo yeah. in the league this all season? That's not out of the realm of possibility. Okay, continuing on with this ludicrous into the game. 36 to 33 after that Gabriel Davis touchdown. 13 seconds to go. Hayden, to squib or not to squib? Yeah, so they definitely should have squibbed it. Now, they could have called a, a fair catch on the squib and got the ball, but like you at least have to try. I think that they were probably concerned that the Chiefs would just have, I mean, they have so much speed back there if they put Tyreek or McCall Hardman, whoever they run but out Tyreek there. Tyreek was not back there. Yeah, um, so maybe like before they had no idea, but I, I think they probably should have squibbed it, and I think that we could draw some criticism on what kind of coverages they did on the next two yep. plays if you want to set that up. Yeah, definitely. And I think swimming, it's easy to say that right now. Um, there are now rules that have been implemented that allow the receiver, even if the ball touches the ground, for no time to come off the clock. Yeah. And as soon as he touches it, clock stops, the ball's down right there. So it's not as easy for to get time off the clock as it was, as it was previously. Okay. Once again, I'll set it up. 36 to 33. 13 seconds to go. Is this the first play or the yes. second play? This is okay. The first this play first here. play to me is amazing. If you can pause it right here, Hayden, you get a stack on the left side. It is with Travis Kelsey, Byron Pringle, and Tyreek Hill. And what stands out to me of why this is just the perfect play call and the perfect execution is it's a downfield screen and the Chiefs have, I believe, two or three timeouts in their pocket. The sideline is not part of the equation here. And so you get lead blockers 
forming a wedge of Travis Kelsey and Brian Pringle, you don't care because of the speed of Tyree Kill of any defenders around you, and he's splitting that directly up the middle. It's a perfect play call for the perfect coverage for the perfect time and gets you a chunk gain of what, 16 or 17 or 18 yards immediately. Yeah, it was the perfect play call, and I think that the Bills could have probably played a little bit tighter than they did there. Um, but I understood how soft they're playing on the first one. Now I think the second play, the one that we're going to roll right after this, this is the one where I think that it's kind of fair to critique. Now there's eight seconds left. The chiefs have a timeout and they need to get about 25 yards to get into field goal range. Maybe a little bit less than that. I think that this is where they mess up. Look how deep the two deep safeties are. And they've been playing this deep the entire game and it kind of worked. Uh, because Patrick Mahomes is not even trying to throw the ball downfield. But really, the Chiefs are thinking here, we're not trying to score a touchdown. We're down three points. We're trying to get into field goal range. So I'm not sure why they have these two safeties this far downfield. I mean, we're talking like almost 30 yards uh, downfield um, before the snap. And it's basically one of the pretty much a, a very similar play call to the one before. And Travis Kelsey is wide open. Um, so I think the second one was the one that I was most concerned about. And the outside corner here was just letting Travis Kelsey win inside. And with a timeout, they had plenty of time to snap the ball uh, on the next play, too. So I think this is the one where the safeties were just playing way too conservative, uh, defending a touchdown when the Chiefs were really just concerned about getting a field goal. Yeah, a few things. I think they were playing so conservative because of what Tyree Kill just ripped them up for a couple plays earlier. You know, when he took that shot with trail technique, perfect. Like you couldn't have really played a better defense in that moment when he was able to outrun every single trail technique on, on your team. So prevent in that situation from that, I understand it now why this is so smart from the chiefs offense here is that Travis Kelsey is able just to split basically two defenders. And as we're going to get to with the clip, this is not a route. Patrick Mahomes tells him, hey, man, do it, do it, because he said, I'm just going to have the right to get open, the ability to get open here. And if you watch, you can go back to that snap. If you look at the quarterback, the right tackle and right guard completely blow their assignment. There is immediate pressure here on Patrick Mahomes. If he has to clutch it at all, if they do press Travis Kelsey at all, because he almost threw this right before Kelsey turned his head, this might result in incompletion and a complete, complete change in the outcome of this game. Yeah, I think that was like the more so than the the squib. It was that play to me was like if you're going to fault them. And I think that we we haven't got there because we just like kind of fast forward to the last quarter. The Bills probably there's a couple of times where they should have gone for instead of punted. Um, But for the most part, both of these teams were super aggressive. Like I was looking, I think uh, to start each series, uh, they both teams had a 76 percent pass to start, which is like out of control. Um, and they were going for, especially the Bills, on on fourth fourth downs late in the game. But I think that the big thing for me wasn't really the squib. It was the the second coverage there. And then maybe a couple times um, weren't uh, aggressive enough. But the Bills are primarily aggressive. And they were aggressive um, for the most part early on. But also just perfect execution by the offense. Uh, let's yeah. send it over to uh-huh. Patrick Mahomes. Because I want to hear what like he and Travis Kelsey said in this convo ahead of time. Again, that was potentially the most impactful play of this entire game. The play to Travis, I mean, it it was kind of a thing where he wasn't necessarily supposed to do that, but after the timeout, we got to look at what the defense was doing, 
And he actually said it to me. He's like, Hey, if they do it again, I'm going to take, I'm going to take it right down the middle between both the guys guarding me. And, um, he, he, uh, he went up the field, I gave him the ball and he got in field goal range. Um, it's a, it's a pretty common defense in a, in a situation like that, the defense will try and take away the, the sideline throws kind of give you more of the seams and, uh, in the middle of the field open, um, that, and they're soft enough so you can get a head start. Um, and I just told them right before they called a timeout, uh, right before we, uh, we went out there and ran that play. Um, and I told them I'm probably not going to run the, the route that, uh, that it's called. I'm just going to run to the open area and, uh, probably midway through his cadence, he was screaming at me at the line of scrimmage, do it, like <laughs> do it, do it. And I was just like, all right, here we go, boys. Again, it's very easy to call attention to these little decisions that change the outcome of the contest. But when the Chiefs, who had already previously called a timeout, get to the line, see the coverage that the Bills have out there, then the Bills call a timeout, again, allowing what Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes just said to regroup. Big difference, according to them, and also a big difference and what makes this so unique in comparison to what the Dallas Cowboys just did a couple weeks ago is that the sideline does not matter. You don't have to play and run to the sideline here. Defense shouldn't be playing to the sideline here because you have another timeout in your pocket that the whole middle of the field area. And that is why timeouts are so, so important in these situations. Yeah, that it's, it cannot be uh, said, said more than that. It's just like, if you have the opportunity, you just have so many new play designs that you can do. And that's like what Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, like they have probably the best chemistry in the league to me, maybe outside of Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but most of it is just like Patrick Mahomes, just trusting Travis Kelsey to just like do whatever he just stares, stares him down whenever he has man coverage in this uh, soft coverage in this exact scenario, just like go do your thing, man. I'm going to get you the ball right when, right when you're open. Those two just are on a totally different level than everybody else at that. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes threw for 177 yards after the two-minute warning in this game. That's courtesy of PFF's Anthony Treesh. Um, we opened this conversation with Josh Allen because I wanted to call attention to how great he was. We just went through Patrick Mahomes, and now we're return it to, because we're going to talk about the Chiefs again later this week, return it to what the Bills are right now and namely what they have at quarterback. I mean, in previous years, when the roller coaster was crazy for Allen, we kept asking, could Josh Allen ever string together like three mistake-free performances? They weren't just mistake-free, really the last three that have really mattered against the Patriots, against the Patriots, and against the Chiefs. Over 1,000 total yards, 11 touchdowns, zero fumbles lost, zero interceptions, and just two sacks. He was practically flawless. And... I hate to jump here, but it's not as simple as, oh, they'll be back. I mean, look how good they were this year. Well, one, because they're probably going to lose their OC. And we've said that a lot with a bunch of these teams, not the Chiefs, with Patrick Mahomes, because he's made, you know, now three straight AFC championships. But like when Cam Newton won his MVP, we thought like that was the start of something special. When Lamar and the Ravens offense looked like that they showed something different than the rest of the league had seen, they get bounced in their first playoff game that season. It's really not as simple because windows to win are real contracts, play injury luck, and like coaches all have to kind of form together here. But Josh Allen is at the point where he is able to mask a lot of the other flaws that this team might create in the future. I think if I was doing quarterback rankings for 2022, it would be Mahomes one and Josh Allen two. I think he's that good. He just, 
he, he's completely evolved. He's so hard to sack. There was only a couple times uh, down the stretch run where he made a couple boneheaded plays, but he he just does so much uh, beyond that. And whenever like they're down and you get him running, like that plays like one of the most successful plays in the game. Just looking at this last game, he had 0.58 EPA per carry, which would be uh, locking up the MVP by a wide margin if you did that all year. And then on per drop back, it was 0.50. So, I mean, he doesn't get sacked. The Bills do not have that, that many penalties because the the entire organization is just like completely locked in right now. And they're going to have a little bit of wide receiver turnover. The defense, it's just hard for the defense to be that good year over year. But Josh Allen with Steph Diggs and this offensive line and a little bit of cap space next year, I'm not. I think that this could be one of the exceptions where their window to win is is next year as well, and the year after that. I think that Josh Allen is just completely evolved. Like we we're talking about the one game where he's oh, yeah. taking all the checkdowns against zone coverage. If you go to against man coverage, they have the man beaters, and he has the hose, and he can run. Like really, like there's not very many flaws. Maybe he has like one boneheaded plays, but like even like. Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady have like a, right. a, a boneheaded play every every now and again. Yeah, th- this is the peak. This is the absolute peak of quarterback play that we got to see here. You mentioned it, the, the running that he is able to put out there and the difference that it makes, it can't be understated. Um, we talked about like that fourth and four. We showed it to all the people who are just listening to us on the podcast feed. It's on the YouTube channel. And Sean McDermott, too, I mean, tried to take a step forward. Like last year, they got bounced because he really wasn't aggressive enough. He went for it twice on fourth downs on that opening touchdown drive. Again, he learned from his mistakes by being too passive. Now, at one point in the second half, did he have a fourth and one from his own 34 on the first drive again of that second half that he could have gone for it? Yes. Could that have made a difference? Yes. But... Small steps in the right direction. I'm sure these are, that is one of multiple decisions and multiple moments that again, aligned for the chiefs to win here. I think we're only critiquing each one of these small little decision and plays because to me, I was viewing that as my super bowl. We'll get to everybody else's super bowl, but my super bowl was this one. Those two teams I thought were the two best. Um, and that was just like, I mean, beat, beat my expectations just to go back. Oh, the, yeah. My favorite stat. They had zero turnovers, four penalties, and three sacks combined that entire game. And each quarterback dropped back more than 50 times. So like seven negative plays out of over 100. That was just like the best offensive game that you can ever imagine. Anything else we want to say here? Uh, I, I wrote down that putting Tyreek Hill back for one of the punt returns, he took it for 45 yards, was absolutely huge. We'll talk about special teams later with a couple of these other teams. I mean, he immediately put it on the 16-yard line in the fourth quarter. That was after, I believe, they were offsetting penalties, so they forced them to re-kick, yep. and boom. He, again, launches it for 45. Um, Tyron Matthew left super early in this game. That's another difference that the Chiefs can have in their next contest as well. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're relatively healthy, the Chiefs are. Yeah. So. Oh, and okay. then, yeah, well, real quick, the Melvin Ingram trade. I mean, they got oh, him... For they're paying him like five hundred thousand dollars, and they got they got him for a six round pick, and he's going to be one of the uh, candidates for like Super Bowl MVP dark horses. Pretty crazy. All right, now let's go over to uh, Tampa Bay, where the Los Angeles Rams were able to knock Tom Brady out of the playoffs. Stafford deep downfield, 
He's got cut. He's got to get out of bounds. And he is able to do that. Stafford, deep downfield. He's got cup again. He's at the 10. Stafford says, let's get down there. We got to, we got to clock it. We got to get the field goal. Oh, yes. The Rams took a 27-3 lead. The Bucs claw their way back to make it 27-27 with a five-play, 63-yard drive in just 42 seconds with a game-winning field goal, a 30-yarder by Matt Gay, who came up short on a 47-yarder earlier as time expires to make it 30-27. to And Hayden, send the Rams to the NFC Championship. This was the bombs away game plan, and it worked uh, entirely uh, until they got very conservative in the fourth quarter. We'll get to that in a second. But setting up this game-winning drive, we'll talk about the the, the cup seam route to win the game. But the, the play before it was massively critical. They have uh, no timeouts after taking a sack on the previous play. They have 31 seconds left in the game. They're on their own 24-yard line, so they're well out of field goal range right now. And Cooper Cups gets man coverage over the middle, shakes his defender, collects some ankles, and then not only that, catches the ball and is able to get out of bounds to save the clock. If neither of those things happen, the next play doesn't happen. And this was just like the perfect example of like what Cooper Cup is bringing you. He's winning vertically and he's winning from the slot. He can do basically anything. He looks more athletic now. We were joking. Remember in like the offseason, we were like pulling up the Cooper Cup pictures because we yeah. thought he was on steroids. He looked so freaking yoked. Now we we're here where he's winning all over the field. So it wasn't just the vertical route. Um, it was the play before that and then some of the other ridiculous Matthew Stafford throws early on the game. Can we talk about that next play too? Because the Rams rush the line after the play that you just showed and they snap it with 20 seconds left on the play clock. And that perfectly coincides with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers calling a different defense, an aggressive defense, really a zero look that after the game, the defensive players, Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles, all say that the defense was not on the same page for. And that's partly due to the Rams rushing to the line and not allowing the defense to really get a full play call in and to be in the perfect situation for it. But even regardless of that, a free rusher in Ndamukong Su is bearing down on Matthew Stafford. And I'm going to say it, Hayden, this, this is the difference that I've been talking about since this trade was made last January 28th or whatever. The difference between Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. No quarterback in previous years had a worse drop in success in the league than Goff versus pressure and not pressured. Take EPA, what it showed at points this season that Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff aligned and shove it. All season long, it was so clear that Matthew Stafford had the skills to beat the extra man when his offensive line or the defense sent an extra person to carry them in that one moment. Remember Jared Goff missing that easy throw to Brandon Cooks in a closing pocket in the Super Bowl that would have won that game over the New England Patriots? This, this was Matthew Stafford's moment and he hit it. No timeouts. He had nothing to do with the Bucks coming back in this game. He made absolutely zero mistakes in that regard, but he was able to activate all of the eligibles, elevate when he did face disruption, 
and he hit it. And this was why the Rams made that move. It's like the vertical offense, like the first half of this game, it was just bombs away, like almost every single play and it was working. And like, I want to bring up the, another play where he's looking off the def- uh, like safeties over the middle. And then the last second firing across the field, um, you can just tell like Sean McVay just feels super confident in this type of offense when like the opening script was just like beautiful plays and they're getting Odell Beckham. Uh, I don't God. think Odell Odell Beckham probably doesn't sign with the, the Rams. Uh, if Jared Goff's the quarterback, no. Vaughn Miller probably doesn't want to cruise to LA this off season too. So that's like another thing where we're talking about like Tom Brady MVP candidacy. When you have a good quarterback, everybody wants to come on your team too. So like the Odell Beckham plays part of that, you've got to uh, contribute that to the Matthew Stafford one on top of it. Yeah. And the plays you brought up Von Miller, Von Miller was insane in this game and he was facing off against Donovan Smith, who is one of the, their healthiest and best offensive linemen. Now here he's isolated and the Rams did such a good job at isolating good pass rushers against that backup right tackle like there was a third and nine scenario i believe where you know we have mike evans on the outside the bucks do rob gronkowski's their second best pass catcher on third and nine third and long you know that hey if you isolate aaron donald on the right tackle he's probably winning so then the bucks have to realize oh aaron donald is lined up next to this right tackle and rob gronkowski we can't keep Gronk in or else we're not going to convert potentially this third nine. So we have to just hope that he doesn't, you know, allow a pressure, a disruption. And Aaron Donald immediately, immediately gets into the backfield. Those, you know, supplemental pieces in Vaughn and Odell both showed up in a massive way. Odell, like you said, was huge at the start of this game. Yeah, and it all flows together. I was looking at... Tom Brady, he only completed four of his 19 dropbacks under pressure, part of partially because of Von Miller. The, but the real reason why there was so much pressure in this game, in my opinion, is they couldn't run the play action stuff that this this Bruce Arians offense wants to do. Only six of their 57 dropbacks came off of play action. The only reason why they weren't running play action is because they were down by three plus touchdowns for most of the game. So it was like all flowing into each other i got to go to this play though because i think this was the most special play of the afternoon um in this game it's third and 19 this is talking about the difference between stafford and goff uh third and 19 the rams early in the game up 10 to 3 they get quarters look from the bucks here and cooper cuffs on the top of the screen what matthew stafford is going to do is he's going to hold his eyes over the middle look at these top safeties go over to uh the vertical it looks like it's van jefferson and cooper cup is all by himself is a little bit of a miscommunication, but really it was just Matthew Stafford's eyes. And you can watch it right here. And this happens like almost every single week now where he is at the very last second, flipping his eyes right there all the way to seam it across the field. Those are the type of throws and those type of play designs only happen because of the quarterback upgrade. And really, I think that the Rams are going to be a uh, three, four, five, six point favorite next week because like the ceiling of this offense is just, basically on another level outside of like the elite quarterback play. Like we're, now we're getting to the next tier of the Matthew Stafford's this offense is like really humming, even without Andrew Whitworth um, this last game too. Yeah. I isolated the bucks, right tackle. You couldn't tell that really with Joe Noteboom at left tackle. He held his own really, really well beliefs early spreads. If I saw them three, three and a half uh, as favorites Rams. over the 49ers, whereas the chiefs are six and a half point favorites over the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. 
that play was really funny to track for the rest of the evening and afternoon on Twitter. Cause I believe like it kind of looks like broken coverage. It's not broken coverage. It's just like a really difficult coverage that he probably overplayed a little bit too much to the inside. I just saw Darren Olavsky saying that something to the effect of how it wasn't, it was just, it was just a great throw by Matthew Stafford. And then like defensive backs coaches, Tony Jefferson safety in the league, Sue Cravens saying like, nah, man, he overplayed it. You need to be as wide and as deep as the last man. Uh, so it's, it's always funny. It shows me how little I know if like everyone in the football world can't really even agree on the same coverage. But like, even, even if that is true, whoever was right, I'm not sure. Like you a beautiful go, play. You, yeah, you want to make those defenders when yes. they're wrong, they're wrong 40 yards downfield. It's one thing to be wrong. Like, oh, you had like a bad run fit and you got eight yards instead of four. No, like when you have this quarterback with these type of wide receivers, uh, yeah, that miscommunication costs you an 80 yard touchdown, not a 10 yard first down. Okay. We got to talk about it. 27 to three with seven Oh seven left to go in the third quarter. And the bucks come back. Hayden now recently with the Rams, we saw a meltdown that they had in the second half against the 49ers in week 18 last week they played then back again this week. So that's two meltdowns in the second half in the last three contests. Does this concern you or is this just fumble luck where they overcame four in the final two minutes of since the second quarter and still winning in this way is absolutely wild. Part of it was just bad luck, but I think that Sean McVay does get too conservative. Looking back at those last drives, you had the Cooper Cup fumble, which I don't think that Cooper Cup's probably going to fumble again the rest of the playoffs. Yeah. Then the next drive, it was a run, pass, pass, and then punt. So I really don't like that. Then you had the the bad snap that went over uh, Matthew Stafford's head and really was just happening too early. Matthew Stafford wasn't prepared for it. Then the next one was like, okay, this is where things got tricky. They went run, run, run. Then they missed the field goal. Even if they make the field goal, uh, this game gets put away. Then they have a run, run, pass, punt. So like, this is a lot of runs to punts and missed kicks and all that stuff. And then you had the Cam Akers fumble. So I think part of it was it was mostly bad luck. But Sean McVay, uh, like the offense completely looks different in the second half there. They were yeah. not pushing the ball downfield at all and they were running it and i think that with andrew whitworth out a little bit maybe that was causing some issues late in the game but really they should have just been like kept throwing the ball downfield and probably would have been picking up more first downs yeah it spooks me a little bit because they did kept leaning on the run in that second half despite having 24 carries for 48 yards at the end of it like that's tough that's you got to read the room a little bit when you're in that situation, right? But it wasn't, it was mainly the fumbles, like you're saying, and it wasn't like the defense crumbled at all. I mean, they stopped them on three straight drives. The Rams defense did to the Bucks offense. But again, those fumbles, especially the snap that went over his head that went back about 35 yards, like that shit doesn't happen again. Yeah. And uh, it would be worse if it was like Matthew Stafford can't win the playoffs. He looks nervous and he's throwing these bad picks. No, no. like this wasn't a Ryan Tannehill. This was just like a bunch of nonsense. This was Tom Brady voodoo shit. Like, is he in the Illuminati? How could he keep forcing all of these fumbles? I couldn't believe. And it was so predictable. But like the Cam Akers one at the end, I was like, really? Like, what is he's he's had to sell his soul for this? Some great moments from this game, too. Like in Domokong Sue, 
getting a pressure on Matthew Stafford, him getting kicked after he's done some ill-advised kicking motions in the past to others and him getting called for an unsportsmanlike conduct. And then Tom Brady this past week in an interview with Jim Gray saying, you know what? Officials should uh, penalize me more often for all the shit that I talk. And then he actually getting called for it. I mean, it's all, all a bit poetic in how these moments can pop up in these Island games. So I think the big thing for the Bucks is number one, how much are we buying that this could be Tom Brady's last game? And then number two, if he does come back, like what are you looking at for this roster moving forward? Do you think that their window has completely closed, semi-closed? Where are you at with the Bucks? I think it's impossible to know who they shift cap room around for and like who would they keep and who was gone like a couple players like you know jpp's gone you know a few others are gone like who knows about chris godwin if he's even healthy for the week one of last year i would be shocked if tom brady retires based on i actually thought he played at an mvp level all season long um again the big differences for me was injury luck and how and this is why i picked the rams to win this game was because last year the bucks since that bye week were incredibly healthy and especially along the offensive line. And then when you watched how the Rams were able to stifle him and, and confuse him a bit early on when they won 34 to 24 back, I think in week five, um, plus adding on a backup offensive lineman to this and without some of the best wide receivers on the team, like those were the piling differences to me that made this team different than what they were. And I don't know, week seven, week eight, week nine. If I had an MVP vote, I would have voted Tom Brady. I thought he was that good. Um, I mean, he led the NFL in total EPA. So, like, he was that good. This, So, I think that he should come back. Um, and I think they'll be able to keep Chris Godwin, Carlton Davis. I think they're going to lose JPP. I think that they could probably keep Jensen if they move some pieces around. So, I think that the core would be back for the most part. But now it's just like, all right, 45 year old Tom Brady, like what 34 year old Gronk, like Mike Evans, could he do another one of these thousand yard years? He's like what 28, 29. So um the Chris Godwin stuff. So I think this was supposed to be the other year. They weren't all in for these last two years. And then next year they're going to be losing some pieces. They basically didn't lose anybody um this last offseason. So if he wants to play, I think that they'll be in contention. I wouldn't put them first. Like I, I had them as the best team coming into this year for most of the year. Um but they're probably in that second tier. But that's probably still enough for Tom Brady to give it a go. Hypothetically, if Byron Leftwich turns down like the Jaguars job and says and doesn't say anything, he's just sticking with the Bucks right now. That would lead me more to believe that Tom Brady is retiring for this fact. I don't think I know he said this and that he is returning. I don't think Bruce Arians will come back without Tom Brady like that seems so pointless. But I mean, it does, especially when you're probably losing your OC and potentially your DC as well to head coaching jobs. I don't think Bruce Arians wants to sign up for a year of Blaine Gabbert as his quarterback. Oh, Sorry no. for like his last run in the league. No. Yeah. I, I mean, Bruce Arians said he's coming back because he I doesn't want to do anything else in his life, which I mean, he's he's already out there with like his skin pigment looking like that. He's playing on a tour coaching on a torn Achilles. So like he clearly I does know. love this stuff. So I'm not yeah. sure. Okay. So we go from one MVP candidate to another. Let's go over to Lambeau Field in Green Bay. Debo gets it. Samuel breaks a couple of tackles, doing it all. First down inside the 30. An amazing night continues at the end of an amazing season. For 
That was Debo Samuel converting a third and seven on the ground. Game tied, 10 to 10. One minute to go at the 39-yard line, which helped the 49ers to get into game-winning field goal range. Some might say field gold range. And another upset special, Hayden, from yours truly. Pick the two underdogs of the weekend. Let's rewind it, though. The Packers open with a 10-play, 69-yard touchdown drive, ending with an A.J. Dillon score, and then score just three points for the rest of the game. Meanwhile, the 49ers, in a snow-soaked second half, put up a big 13 points and, yes, again, win in Lambeau Field. What the Packers need to do with that money that they raised when they got basically all of Wisconsin to send the money <laughs> is they need to build a dome. You can't have the best offenses in the league for like the last 20 years and then all of a sudden just say, screw it, we're going to play in four degrees and then like everything goes out the window. So yeah, this was just, I mean, terrible luck for the Packers. Their defense played phenomenally. Uh, the 49ers, I'm mean, just looking at Jimmy G stats, 10th percentile EPA per play, 16th percentile completion percentage over expected third percentile success rate so the 49ers offense didn't do a single damn thing really uh there's a couple plays late in the game but it was really just special teams for the packers and then really a lack of depth and i think that aaron Rodgers, for all the criticism that he was giving the front office this was the game where it seemed to matter most looking at uh total epa passes that went to Devonte adams and aaron jones had a combined 9.2 EPA, the rest had a negative 14.8. The, the rest of the wide receivers and tight ends had six yards on 104 routes. Six yards, 104 routes, and a fumble because of a UCLA Bruin out in the flats dropping the ball. So this was just like a lack of depth that really came out and it showed the value of my guy MVS. They could not stretch the field vertically Correct. at all, especially in that weather. Okay, let's kind of take it segment by segment here. I mentioned that 10-play, 69-yard touchdown drive to open it. Again, that culminated with A.J. Dillon. The 49ers, however, opened with negative 11 yards on three plays, zero yards on three plays, negative one yards on three plays, negative three yards on three plays, and an interception after that 11-play, 58-yard drive. That's their one, two, three, four, fifth, five straight drives to open this game. Absolutely nothing in the first half. And I'll be the first one to say it until that bad interception in the red zone. It was all due to drops. There were some good passes to George Kittle on like third and 12s or 17 yards on the field that they just weren't converting. But to their benefit, the Packers did not put them away when they were at their lowest. Yeah, they couldn't move the ball. Really, it was there was a time in the second half where I was like just making sure I was watching Aaron Rodgers eyes. And almost every single time he would immediately just look at Devontae Adams and the 49ers were starting to roll coverage um, after the first couple passes that went directly to Devontae Adams for first downs. Then they were like rotating a safety over or really trying to take away things. And then that just turned into, all right, we're throwing the ball down to Aaron Jones, who was fantastic this game, but there was no sell, uh, separation from Alan Lazard, like Randall Cobb. They like tried a, a comeback route late in the game. That wasn't happening. Uh, the Robert Tunyon injury was massive. The tight ends couldn't Huge. do a single thing. Uh, they didn't really get uh, A.J. Dillon going until he had that rib injury, canceled him out. So really, there was just a no depth. And like I looked back at that freaking Jordan Love pick. I'm like, this is the one. The next two wide receivers, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman. I mean, God, that hurts, man. If I was Aaron Rodgers, I'd be so tilted right now. It's, it's funny because I've gotten to the point 
in the last few weeks. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, in the postgame talked about how his relationship with Brian Gutekunst is much better than it was and than it was, you know, last April. But it's tough to swallow this one. It's tough. I mean, the early openings, as you outlined, to Devontae Adams were absolutely there. And then, and I always feel like it's a gift whenever they throw the ball to Mercedes Lewis, because like, what's the real upside there? He can't move. It's like, hey, thanks for being one of the best blocking tight ends in the league and being our best sixth offensive lineman. But then after that 75-yard catch to Aaron Jones, which was a great play by Aaron Rodgers, escaping to the right and finding him down that right sideline, they get down to San Francisco 14, like a minute, less than a minute left in the first half. Blocked field goal, blocked punt allowed. The opposition did not score a touchdown in this game. I mean, a 10-point swing all by special teams. And I'm sure you saw this. I pointed it out. The Packers didn't even have 11 players on the field for their final attempted field goal block when Robbie Gold converts it to make it 13 to 10. It was so funny in the first drive, both announcers highlighted how bad the special teams were. That's going to be a storyline where that never happens when you watch these games. And it absolutely was the turning point was the fact a 10 point swing based on special teams. Like the Chargers special teams were like, man, Packers, that was pretty bad out there. Like that's how bad it got. It was just brutal, man. So I was on team Aaron Rodgers has for sure staying. He's probably going to win the MVP and all that. After this one, I don't know. And the worst part about this is like you open up right when you, at least for me, a complete sicko, right when a team gets eliminated, I go over to overthecap.com to see where we're at there and the Packers are $40 million over the cap. And that does not include having Devonte Adams. Who's at least going to get franchise tag. So I think Aaron Rodgers looking at this and saying, man, this was the team that was supposed to win the super bowl. We're going to lose some pieces. We have no money to sign my guy, Devonte Adams to a massive contract right now. And our special teams can't get 11 guys on the field. So like, what's the point? So I think that the odds Aaron Rodgers gets traded now are up, which is crazy. Mm. And it's like a like, I mean, we're literally reacting to a one game sample like a day after this happened. But I don't know. I think that he has valid reasons to why he is upset at the Packers, and mainly because he should have had T. Higgins instead of Alan Lazard as his number two this this season. One more line on that special teams, just like the Chiefs put Tyreek Hill back for punts, Kyle Shanahan put Debo Samuel back for that kickoff when he returned it one for forty five yards, which is like a huge flip in field position at that point. I think they ended that drive with a field goal as well. Okay. We've talked a lot about the Packers and how they failed to put the 49ers away. Can we outline a little bit what turned into successful drives for San Francisco? Because they were kind of made for this again, snow soaked field. They were made for that second half weather. It's those inside breaking routes, at least more so than the Packers were. It's a yards after the catch. It's a tough running from Eli Mitchell. It's a tough running like we outlined at the top in that third and seven run by Debo Samuel. And look, they didn't get a touchdown offensively. But when it's like you could pick any offense out there in those conditions with these players, like a lot of people might pick the 49ers among these two. And it's just fascinating to me because, again, they were the away team. They did not have the elements on their side and what the narrative was heading into this one, that this was Packers football. 
Yeah, I'm, I can't give any credit to the 49ers offense. Like, they played like shit. Like, really, like, the running game wasn't effective. Like, the Debo Samuel stuff was kind of working, but Eli Mitchell was getting denied, and I think that we eventually going to have to talk about Trent Williams on Thursday's podcast. He's on crutches. X-rays are negative, but that's a massive deal because I think, like, when I was watching this game, I had notes, like, right tackle getting bodied by Rashawn Gary. They had some communication issues. Like, all of a yeah. sudden, their right guard would just get thrown four yards behind like this is it's weird because like we think of Shanahan we think run game dominant super efficient all that stuff but really it's like the schematics of it and like George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk the actual offensive line outside of Trent Williams is not very good in my opinion so if they don't have Trent Williams for this next game that's going to be an issue um they finally got some things going they had a sick Debo Samuel play out of the backfield where they ran him on this little option route and it, I think it's basically the best game or best uh, play in football right now. It only gets run like a, maybe one time per game. But if you get a wide receiver like Debo Samuel out in the backfield and you have a like a linebacker or someone sitting in zone coverage having to stop that, like, good luck. But really, like the 49ers didn't play very well. Um, yeah. All the pass catchers had problems. I thought the offensive line had problems, um, but they just got super lucky basically because the Packers special teams. Yeah, we, we root for chaos, and uh, maybe nothing would be more chaotic, though, than the 49ers winning a Super Bowl after <laughs> trying to draft Jimmy Garoppolo's, you know, person to replace him. Um, I mean, that, that would be, be chaos. That would be too – that's that's might be a little too much. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. We – before we get out of here, let's bring up this final throw because this is a bit of the difference that you saw from Josh Allen – from Patrick Mahomes, heck, even Matthew Stafford a little bit, where here, as you alluded to, eyes are solely set on Devontae Adams. And it's basically a, a cover two look. You can see that D'Amico Ryans, and I don't think he's getting enough credit for this, actually blitzes a delayed blitz with the safety. So it's not like a clear cover two look here. So I'm sure that's what Aaron Rodgers is seeing where he's like, oh, that's my one-on-one because I'm expecting the linebacker to be down there. But then it's 29 here who's who's separating all the way deep into the field. But then as as just as he's letting it go, and he should see this. I mean, I'm no quarterback. I've never played the position. An overwrap with Alan Lazard cutting wide open. And this is probably how you practice it with this much space here. Yet he goes for a double team down the field. And obviously goes incomplete. Yeah, and that deep safety that is coming over there, the guy with the long hair, that's Talanoa Hufunga, pride of USC. So don't go down the field against my my USC <laughs> Trojans back there. But yeah, I think this was... This he was said both just, safeties. I know. But the problem is just like, he did not trust Alan Lazard. Like, he did not trust no. any of the other options. So it didn't matter. Like, his eyes were locked on to, to Devontae Adams. So I thought this was the incorrect... Reed, I know he was really taking a shot. I'm sure that he was super frustrated, snowing, his hands are cold, and all, all that stuff. But yeah, this was one of the missed reads. But I was like looking for like missed reads the entire game, and there really wasn't many. Like it was just like him saying, screw it, I'm throwing it to Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones instead of the other guys. Um, and a lot of it was just like quick, quick out routes, uh, RPOs, slants, the typical Packers offense. And it was kind of working to start, and then it just like completely got um, eviscerated. All right, one more game, and yes, it's the Cinderella Cincinnati Bengals going to Nashville and advancing to the AFC Championship. Tannehill steps forward, popped up in the air, intercepted! Whoa! 
Logan Wilson's got it for Cincinnati with 20 seconds to play. Yes, despite giving up nine sacks, despite having a four and a half intended air yards per attempt average, by far the lowest of the weekend, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase outplayed the Titans duo of Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown, namely at quarterback. And yes, the Cincinnati Bengals are going on to face the Kansas City Chiefs. A legit tragedy. The Titans defense was out of control. Good. Crazy. I mean, it was, I mean, we, we previewed it perfectly. It was just winning with four for most of the game, but I mean, Jeffrey Simmons was kicking this poor right guards ass the entire game. They were winning with Harold Landry, Danico Autry. It was nonstop, but the Titans offense just had a meltdown. There was three interceptions. My notes I had, um, on them. The first one, uh, middle field, close safety, uh, Tannehill is just like staring him down. This was probably the worst one. And Jesse Bates just steps in front of him to start the game. That was probably the worst one, right? Well, Julio looked open. Like if you see the dots, he looks open, but then Jesse Bates makes an unreal play and is just reading his eyes. Yeah. And that's exactly what it's supposed to do is bait the quarterback into making that throw. And Jesse Bates makes a, a, a fantastic play. Yeah, properly named Jesse Bates right there. And then second interception is that nickel blitz where the defender hits the ball up in the air and makes a great play. In my opinion, like that, you can possibly put that on Ryan Tannehill, but you're kind of taught these quarterbacks to throw into the blitz, wherever the blitz is coming, because then all of a sudden you have numbers and that kind of happened late. And you see those nickel blitzes come all the time. And that like rarely happens. So that was just kind of a bad luck on Ryan Tannehill. And then the third one, the game uh, losing interception. We got to talk about this. (sighs) I mean, he kind he kind of forced it, but I mean, could Nick Westbrook Akine get out of his break like a little bit for me, like a little bit? That was, I think you have to put some uh, of the blame on the quarterback, but that was definitely a forced throw. And even without these, they weren't really moving the ball all that well in the first place. No, who I'm getting on their case of is is Mike Vrabel. Okay. Let's outline this because we just spoke about at length the urgency that we saw on Sunday night, right? Chiefs side, Bills side. We also talked about it with the Rams going for the field goal at the end of the game. Mike Vrabel tied 16 to 16. The total lack of urgency is totally baffling. And hey, I'm here to say that Mike Vrabel is mostly an underrated head coach, especially when they're viewed as underdogs. But they get the ball with 243 to go. Their own 16-yard line. In two full minutes of game action, they only moved the ball 24 yards. And on Tannehill's final throw, again, at the 40-yard line, they need another 30 yards to attempt a game-winning field goal. They let the clock drop down to 29 seconds. Like, I, you have two timeouts in your pocket as well on top of this. I don't know if this is a lack of trust in Ryan Tannehill playing for overtime in that scenario, but Patrick Mahomes could have gone down the field here 10 more times than Ryan Tannehill in this offense were able to get 24 yards in two minutes. I think they were scared of punting and then giving Joe Burrow too much time. Like, I think that's exactly what happened. But when you get conservative, all of a sudden you put your quarterback into bad situations. And that's what happened on the last throw where you just try to rifle it in there. It was like a decent placed ball, but just like it was just super tight coverage. And right when the ball was up, there was a bunch of defenders sitting 
right next to it. But so yeah, it was just like Derrick Henry wasn't running well. Like I think I was seeing a sense of him being a little bit uh less urgent. Yeah. Like yeah. him two plates on, in his foot. Like one yeah, of the I mean, shoot, I'm one not, in his I foot. know. They rushed yeah. him back. Like I'm not I don't want to like Well, I I think part of that is the Titan strength didn't dominate like it should have. DJ Reader was unbelievable yeah. along that enter the defensive line. You know, he gets stuff, Derrick Henry does, on fourth down, tied 16 to 16. And the other pieces, like Julio had a really good game. A.J. Brown had an awesome game. But they made up 204 of the 220 passing yards in this contest. There were weeks when this Titans offense had neither of those players, and they had decent passing offenses. You would have thought that an Anthony Ferkser, a Westbrook Akine, someone else would be able to make a play here. And no one could like the Bengals defense. We talked about the start of the season. They were shocking. People went through a bit of a lull, but this was another impressive performance for a bunch of role players, piecing things together and having again, the, some of the parts probably better than the individuals. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It was just the, the big storyline for me was just like the Titans defense just played so well. And for them to get bounced like that was like yeah. super tragic. I thought, I thought they're front seven, and I hope that they're back mostly for next next year because like that is one of the best units. I think Jeffrey Simmons is going to like all of a sudden be mentioned like the All Pro type of level. I mean he he gave the this offensive line hell like for like most of the game. And I mean it's just amazing that you can have nine sacks and lose in a contest. Um, we kind of outlined like this was a possibility though for for the Titans one hundred percent because. And something I keep calling attention to, and it's so difficult to do, and this is why it's not, you know, prominent each and every week, is that when Joe Burrow, like we saw him against the Ravens, the Ravens can blitz people and they can send different looks. He was able to beat that extra man constantly because in those scenarios, he has a hot route and he's really good at understanding where that is. I think he has difficulty when pressure is getting there with just four. Is he the only one across the league? No. Absolutely not. But the stark contrast in the two, like his mobility is not up there with the Mahomes and and the Josh Allen. But like, again, getting home with just four and dropping seven, that's how every defense wants to do it. So I'm not going to hold Joe Burrow against this, but I I see a lot of people saying like he's magic when disrupted and all that. To me, there's a difference with him between, again, when they're saying extra man and when there's a hot route versus when there's not. Yeah, the Bengals offensive line has like major issues and it's like beyond just like performance. Like there's many miscommunication things where you have to give some of the blame to the coaching staff, some of it to Joe Burrow, definitely some to the center, but they were just like sliding the wrong ways. And then on top of that, like what made the the problem so bad, it just happened to Chris Evans, uh Joe Mixon and Samaj Perine, all three of them had issues where they were either running out too early and then the 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 stunt player would come in and then it'd be hitting Joe Burrow or they would be hot and Joe Burrow would be looking at Chris Evans uh, when they were blitz or they had like six rushes against five offensive linemen. And then Chris Evans just like out there, like going for a little stroll here. And then Joe Burrow has to take a sack. So there was like miscommunication issues for the Bengals thing. I think that's probably the biggest, like their Achilles Hills eventually is probably going to be this offensive line. And it's not just like, their right guard having a bad day at the office. It's like, no, like the entire unit, like together, there's like no cohesion. Well, now you've get to face Chris Jones, Jaron Reed, Melvin Ingram, Frank Clark, some guys who got home 
last week as well. One final thought on the, the Bengals. They had 242 yards after the catch. I mean, what Jamar Chase did to, was it Fulton on the outside, on that screen, was unbelievable. Just catching the line of scrimmage in a tight window, in a phone booth, making him completely whiff, and then running it down the sideline. Again, we knew Jamar Chase coming into the league was incredible along the sideline, making contested catches, floating in the air, making those back shoulder throws on timing. The difference to me of what is making him better than I imagined as a rookie is that yards after the catch. And we saw it against the Ravens. We saw it another time this season, and we saw it in this contest too. Yeah, the the yak explosiveness is out Crazy. of control. The Yeah, the one little hit screen for a touchdown, then the one that I was showing up there just rolling out, hits him. There's two guys right there, and he just makes both of them miss for a huge play. Um, the other part of the Bengals offense that I find super interesting, like basically like we just talked about this with Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, if there is man coverage against Chase, it is going to him. And this is the game-winning play. So right after that interception, uh, there's 20 seconds left. It's a first and 10. They're trying to get into field goal range. And the Titans go out there, and it's basically a, a defense that they've been using from a, a little bit. They go two-man. It is Jamar Chase one-on-one. And I mean, good nights. Like, not even close this corner. Release. And then Joe, Mick, or Joe Burrow throws it well in advance for the first down to set up the Evan McPherson uh, game winner. But you look at Joe Burrow's eyes. He makes sure that the the safety doesn't come crashing down on him a little early, but he knows where this ball is going. And it's like obvious that the ball should be going there. But if you notice, like the rest of the wide receivers also get open. So it's basically like one of the most like boom bust offenses because they have like all this talent at quarterback and at wide receiver and basically none across the offensive line. So it's going to really come down to just matchups. Um, if Joe Burrow gets sacked even four times next week, is probably going to be too much. So they, they've got to figure out these issues right now. And I don't think that you figure out communication issues uh, in week 20, but Hey, anything's possible, man. I mean, especially with this offense, with the pieces that they have, anything is possible to happen in a one game sample. A uh, shout out to the kickers of this week. By the way, you mentioned Evan McPherson, rookie fifth round pick, top 150 selection, 149 overall out of Florida. We mentioned Matt Gay after missing a 47 yarder coming back and hitting the game winner. Harrison Bucker getting it to overtime. You know, like kickers all over the board. Big kicker. All week. over the board made it happen. I'm missing one as well. Who am I missing? Oh, Robbie Gold with the game winner. I mean, big kicker week. Um, just looking at the Bengals, Jamar Chase and Evan McPherson. The rest of their rookies, not too much. Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Okay. I guess we covered it all. We went I deep. Think, I think we did cover just about everything. <laughs> if there's any other plays you, you guys want to hear about, we got other shows, I guess. But I think that we hit the big ones. Yeah, we're going to do these off-season shows around 8 o'clock Eastern, probably. Appointment viewing. Hopefully you uh, remember those on Mondays and Thursdays and tune into them. Obviously, replays are up immediately. It's on the podcast feed as well. Go and check that out, whatever podcast provider you use. I need to do this more often, but I'm producing my own show at the time, so it's tough to do it. Like and subscribe since you're here. Uh, let's hit 10K as fast as possible, ladies and gentlemen. 
And if you guys don't, don't follow us on Twitter, make sure you do that. We got nominated. Shout out to us. Um, one of five fantasy football shows for podcast of the year by the uh, FSWA. So obviously big shout out to Josh handling basically all the topics for the show and producing the show, making sure it looks good on the podcast feed. And then obviously um, shout out to everybody for following us. The more you subscribe, tell a friend, all that stuff, it'll help us out. Yeah. Telling one friend to help us with the audio feed, but also the YouTube channel truly does help. I thought you were about to say shout out to me uh, like you. <laughs> yourself it was pretty cool and i'm gonna try to find it right now and I, I probably won't in the next few minutes but you know our show has been around for eight months eight months and who we're amongst is really really cool our previous employer at nbc sports edge slash the rotor world football podcast uh that's there jj zacharyson late round podcast one of my favorite people in the industry obviously the fantasy footballers the harris football show the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I mean, these these shows have been at least around for five years. Some, I think like Chris Harris, for 10 years. Forever. You know? yeah. Forever. So us doing this for eight months and being nominated amongst this group, I think it's awesome because of you, the listeners, because of uh, Hayden. And I think, you know, hopefully find an edge and have fun along the way with all the content that we produce too. Oh, and I'm definitely taking credit. If a good football show wins this thing, like I'm taking some of the credit for my elite work for what the three months that I had this year. It's but we 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 won that show, I believe, back in 2019, and I hadn't missed an episode in like 550 days. So it's cool to see them still there. It's cool. I love to see it. All right, a little self gloat. It's always a good way to end a show. Dame, Tigers, Nick, Alpha. Fancy Dog, Gary, Scampers, Doom, Rowan, Tony, all of you people. We appreciate you. Macho Taco, Damani. We'll be back here on Thursday, 8 o'clock. Preview show. Just two games. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. As always, you know you can play Pick'em. There's still drafts up in the lobby as well. Go support Tyler's show. Go and support the underdog NBA channel as well. That's where all Wob's content is going to be henceforth. So you can check out those links somewhere down below. All right. That's it. Thanks, Hayden. Up the villa, everyone. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.